welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Tonight we'll talk about just say no. Just say no. And it's actually spiritual to say no. You realise that? It's, a lot of people think yes is spiritual, but it's actually very spiritual to say no. And for my part, I'd much prefer someone to tell me an honest no than a fake yes. You know, when you ask someone to help and they say, look, they say yes under a sense of guilt or obligation or the pastor asked me I have to, I'd much prefer someone to be honest and say, look, I really can't, no. Because that to me is much better than someone saying yes with a bad attitude. Say yes with a good attitude or say no with a good attitude. And I'll receive it as a yes or no. And I think that's important. So... It's interesting that the ability to say no is very powerful. Uh, so Warren Buffett, a famous uh, finance man, said this, the difference between successful people and very successful people is that very successful people say no to almost everything. So parents, it's not wrong to look at your kids and go, no. That's very successful. You know, learn to say no. If a kid is playing up the shopping centre, throwing a tantrum, lie down on the floor, throw one beside him. You know? <laughs> but say no. There, there is power in having the freedom to say no with integrity. It's not just saying no to things because you want to say no. You just feel like saying no. It's, there's an integrity in our yes and an integrity in our no. There's a famous... Um, American basketball coach from UCLA, uh, just a track record of wins and, and championships. And his name was John Wooden and uh, quite famous. If you want to look it up, he had some different sayings. And one of them was this, there's four things a man must learn to do if he would make his life more true. To think without confusion clearly, to love his fellow man sincerely, to act from honest motive purely, to trust in God and heaven securely. Um, I just think there's great things in what we do. But he also said there are things we must say no to if we want to reach our potential. Some of these things are very important to us. We must learn, firstly, to say no to doing it by yourself. Say no to doing it by yourself. You know, if, if I was to stand up here and lead the singing without any other singers and without any musicians... And without any words on the screen, you would probably find I would sing a song out of tune. I would sing the wrong words. I would make up words. And it probably may not sound very good at all. And if I really lost my way, I would just trust God and sing in the Holy Spirit in tongues. But to have a sense of, of, of something that we can all enter into, it takes more than one. Leviticus says this in 26.8, five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Notice the increase that comes when you add more to the team. Now, now some people like to go, one will put a thousand to flight and two put 10,000 to flight. But that's not what that passage says. It says, how can that happen unless God defeated them? It couldn't happen except God defeated. But here's a passage that does talk about a capacity that five can chase a hundred and a hundred put 10,000 to flight. It's about the increased potential of people working together 
as opposed to people working alone. In fact, one plus one when you're working together is far more than two. If you've ever tried to move house for somebody and you're trying to move a lounge chair by yourself, not always easy. If you're trying to move the master bed by yourself, not always easy. But if two of you do it, it gets done more than twice as fast. So just having somebody else, somebody else on your journey, and the Bible teaches us we need the others. We need to work together. Romans says it like this in 12, 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to give birth to babies. Thank you, Jesus. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So this is about the thing that God says, you don't do life as a Christian alone. You need a place called the family of God. You need to be connected in with one another. That's why things like connect groups are so important, whether people call them life groups, connect groups, cell groups, whatever. They're places where we connect with one another, where we find that we learn to love each other more deeply. We learn to care for one another. We find out the needs of one another more sincerely, and then we can pray and act and one is down, we help them. We journey this journey together. Romans 14, 7 says, None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. This is a journey that's meant to be done together. When God saw Adam, he said, It's not good for man to be alone. Now, man, there is the word mankind or humanity, not just male. Listen, it's not just male. It's not good for humanity. It's not good for humans to be alone. One of the worst tortures they have in prison is called solitary confinement. It's not good for man to be alone. So who do you want around you? John Wooden said this, whatever you do in life, surround yourself with smart people who'll argue with you. Surround yourself with smart people who will argue with you. Do not surround yourself with yes people. People who just always agree. How wishy-washy, how sloppy, how useless is that? I want people who will challenge me. It might not be that I'm doing a wrong thing, but they'll challenge me to do it better or do it a better way. Or maybe I will be doing something wrong and they challenge me to do something right. I want people around me who will be able to say yes and no. There's nothing wrong with it. And anyone who is afraid of having people around them that say no and challenge them does not want to grow. If you want to grow, get people around you who disagree with you. I love reading books I don't agree with. I love reading books that, that, that come from a different angle or a different perspective. There are theological books that are written that I, I so vehemently disagree with the premise of, but I'll sometimes read them to find out where they're going and why they see what they see. And maybe there's a hint in that, that hmm, I'd never thought about it like that. I'd never seen it from that perspective. Now I know why they get that viewpoint. Now it gives me an ability to, 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 to develop and reason in God for an answer for people when they ask me those questions. So I would challenge you, take a look at your social circle. Does everybody around you say yes? Does anybody really get in your face lovingly and challenge you? See, real friends 
who disagree with you and your ideas and challenge you are essential to life. See, we, we, like, we, we like to have this nice facade of everyone gets along and loves each other. I would ultimately pray that as a church, we do get along and we do love each other, but we know how to have a good fight. And we fight fair. Listen, we don't fight dirty. We fight fair. We argue about the principle, not the person. See, if I disagree with an idea you have, it's not that I disagree with you. I disagree with the idea. That way I don't take it personal. (laughs) Who wants to be like that? Get people around you who will challenge you. Develop friends. Develop a trust level where you can actually look at a comment and go, what are our ideas on this? And have different ideas and different perspectives on it. Do the people around you push you for more? Do they challenge you to stretch? Or are they just happy little clappies in a little circle doing coffee and sipping lattes or short blacks? I know that's nice, but do we challenge each other? I want to be able to say no to people who don't challenge me. I want to be able to say no to people who who don't bring out the best in me. My wife is the best person to disagree with me. In fact, the other day I won an argument. Slept outside, but I won an argument. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Not true, not true. (laughs) If everyone around your life is a yes, that's enough out of you lot. If everyone around you is saying yes, maybe it's time to get some new friends. I'm not saying get rid of them all, but maybe you need to add some people who will challenge you. And in that open disagreement, it might challenge the other friends that are always saying yes, because some of them might have thought no, but didn't have the courage to say no and didn't know they had the freedom to say no. Or maybe you need to be less defensive and say, look, I prefer you to tell me no if you don't agree. That way we can all grow. Philippians says this, Paul speaking, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. In other words, God says, if you don't think like this, you're wrong. That's what he says. Let Let me read it again. And if in anything you think otherwise, in other words, if you think different, God will reveal it to you. I don't, I don't need to argue with you. You're just wrong. So Paul says, he's blunt. You're wrong. It's a no from Paul to their thinking. We ought to be people who are pressing on. And that word press means, its root meaning is persecution. If you want to grow, there's going to be pain. There are going to be costs along the way. You'll get rejected by people. That's normal. You'll get accused. They will call you unloving when you say no to them, uncaring, selfish. And the more you say no to some people, the more they're going to reject you. But others who really know you, have caught the heart, will challenge you. They will say no with the right heart and they will challenge your idea. They'll make you think more deeply. They won't attack you. They'll challenge the idea. And so I I want to press toward the goal. If I'm going to be the best me God made me, I need people around me who disagree with me. People around me who can think sharp. People who can develop their thoughts and accept the no from me as well. 
We need one another. We can't do this journey alone. Ecclesiastes says in 4.12, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And that's not always about marriage. It's about teamwork, having God in your team. So we need to know who to say yes to, but we also need to know how to say no and who to and when to. Very important. Second thing we need to say no to, no to is rushing. Impatience. So we, we, some people just, just, God, I'm on the shelf. Look, I don't know if any of you know much about clay. Anyone done any pottery here? couple of people okay you, you take a block of clay and, and they'd normally put it through a thing called a pug mill which just beats beats it up and beats it up and pushes it and presses it like kneading and it gets all the air out of the clay because you know a pocket of air which is what comes in bread from yeast which the bible talks about is sin by getting that in there when you fire that clay it explodes and wrecks everything so they want to get all that out and then you work the clay so the, the potter will will build it up and if something goes wrong you'll push it down and start again who feels like sometimes god's just pushing it down and starting again pushing it down start again push it anyone else feel like me sometimes just push it down start again God, I thought I'd got that past that mountain. No, there's a bit of air in there. We need to get it out. So he pushes us down and he starts again. And we get impatient to see the finished work. See, I, I know some people who, when you're doing a job, like this, this, when you're painting, guys, you're halfway through the job. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Most of you, if you're married, your wife will come and tell you what you've missed. That's just a reality of life. Me, I couldn't be bothered. I think, sweetheart, when they come through and the professionals do it, there are spots they miss too. I don't miss as much as they do, but you notice when I miss it. And she, That's because I love you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I want to make sure we get it right. I don't want to rush. I want us to be patient. Understand there's an endurance in our faith. Hebrews says this, as we, and we desire that each one of us, that's Hebrews 6, 11, 12, each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That means Paul is saying, hey, this journey is until we see Jesus face to face. This part of the journey on earth, it's until we see Jesus. And I want you to be diligent for all that time. Don't become sluggish, but imitate those, listen, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How many Christians do I come across? Faith. Faith. And if it doesn't happen, lack of faith. No, sometimes you just need to add patience. Faith and patience. See, Peter did not need a lot of patience to walk on water. Listen, he did not need a lot of patience to walk on water. He needed patience to keep walking on water. To take those first steps toward Jesus, that was easy. Jesus said, come, he steps out. Now, it was, it was tougher than the other guys because they stayed in the boat. But he had faith. He believed Jesus at his word. But the moment he looked around and saw everything else, his faith stopped. See, when Jesus speaks of little faith, you know, he's not talking about little in its capacity. He's talking about little in its endurance. Peter began to sink. And Jesus picks him up and they walk back to the boat. So, so patience adds to faith. And it says this, it, the Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James 1, 2 and 4. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience 
But patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Sometimes the purpose God has for delaying the answer to our prayer is to develop the character of our life in patience, that we might learn patience and endurance and forbearing and long-suffering. Who wants to learn those things? <laughs> Who likes the journey of learning those things? Who likes the love, joy, peace ones? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. The patience, long-suffering, endurance, perseverance. I don't like God. They're all part of it. Someone once said, if you don't have the time to do it right, you don't have the time to do it over. I hope you got that. If you don't have the time to do it right, where are you going to find to do it over? Because if you don't do it right, you have to do it again. That will take longer than doing it right the first time. So patience, patience, patience and endurance. Don't rush. Say no to rush. Say no to the pressure of this world that runs at a 1,000 miles an hour and God has only made you to run at 100. Say no to that. You know what it's like when you're out on the track, if you're going for a run and, and someone passes you, especially guys if it's a woman? They say this, pace yourself. But if she's running faster than me, I can't have that happen. You know, there's all of a sudden there's a, this ego kicks in and we've got to run faster and we run ourselves out and then we collapse and they still run past us. <laughs> and we look worse than if they just passed us and we kept running. Oh, that's okay, she's sprinting, I'm just enduring. <laughs> I'm running longer than her because I'm going to go longer. What do you mean longer? Longer time, get the same distance. See, it's tempting to avoid the tensions of rush. And it's easy to say yes. And fits so much into our life to tasks and opportunities and people that we really should be saying no to. Sometimes we need to say no to apparent opportunities and other things that will crush our life, will hinder us, will just overwhelm our busyness in life. They will reduce our, our productivity, our spirituality, our growth. They will actually wear us out. And that's why church, in many, many ways, we tend to just have morning services over Christmas. But sometimes we, we don't have our children over the middle of holidays in a year for the purpose of letting people just pause and rest a while. That's why we don't do a giant Easter convention like some churches. And it's not wrong, please. It's not wrong. But my heart is I don't want people rushing. I don't want people overloaded. I don't want people burning out when they should be saying no. No. We become more effective when we learn to say no to the rush, to the hecticness of life. We actually, if we become more effective, then we become more efficient. And, and we, when we're more efficient, we actually have better focus, better clarity and better motivation for our life. And we find we have more satisfaction in the things that we do. In fact, it's that sense of a job well done. A job well done. You know, the other day, Sue came home from shopping and, and, and I had mowed the lawn. And she said, I knew you would have done that. She, she knows me. I, I want to make it look good. And I was a little disappointed because a couple of spots where I saw that the mower hadn't picked it up properly. I think, oh God, how do I get that? And the answer came to me very quickly. Save up $2,000 and get a proper real mower. You know, one of those ones like that. And, you know, I don't have that money. I've, I've got mower that we bought in 1993 that still cuts. I, sharpened the, I did sharpen the blades the other day. 
It was such a bad cut. I thought, God, what's going on? So I turned it over. And guess what? The blades were all bent back on the base. So I squared them all up, got my grinder out, sharpened the edges. Boy, did it cut nice the next time. But because I took the time to stop and sharpen the blades and angle everything up right, it was more efficient. It did a better job. And when I made my cup of coffee and sat down on the back veranda with my feet up on the second chair and having it going, job well done. Job well done. And then Sue's cat jumps on my lap. So job is not done yet. You must pat me first. I'm the owner of this house. You are my servant. But the only way to get there is to say no to things first. Say to no to things that will clamor, that will hold your life in the wrong stead, which will make you so busy. Try it right now. Here's a challenge. Ready? Five times. Say it with me. Say it after me. Say, no. Look at the person beside you. No. no. Let's try it again. No. no. And once more. No. 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 Husbands, look at your wives. Husbands, look at your wife. Husbands, say, yes. <laughs> How do I learn what to say no to and what to say yes to? Uh, oh, I've used it before, but it is worth putting up again. Let's stick that slide up on the screen. There it is. There are, there are four. I, I basically, if you box your area, now there's no such thing as a box in life. Boundaries are just very shaded, but it gives you an idea. There are things in life that are not urgent and not important. There are things that are not important, but they are urgent. There are things that are important, but they're not urgent. And there are things that are important and urgent. We need to figure out in life, right at this moment, what are the things that are both urgent and important. Now, sometimes you may have no urgent, important things, but you will still have important things that are non-urgent. The, the danger is this. When we don't discipline our life and our time, our energy flows into the black square. Listen, when we don't discipline our life and our time, our energy flows into the black square to the non-urgent, non-important. That's where energy naturally flows in a world that's ruled by sin. We have to choose the other way. We need to choose to put our life in this balance that we are, God, what now is the most important and urgent thing I need to do? And we need to identify that and then we need to practice that. And just to clarify that, sometimes things that right now might be non-urgent, non-important may end up in the urgent important. Sometimes nothing stays in the same square all the time. See, taking a break when you're supposed to be working is being slothful, non-urgent, non-important. But taking a break when you're on the edge of burnout is urgent and important. Playing the Xbox is non-urgent, non-important sometimes, but sometimes it's not a bad idea. You might just need to get your focus off on something else. Young people go, yeah. Hey, hey I, I, used to, I used to look a little bit critical at that kind of stuff. Then I realised I can go and speak three, four hours on a golf course. Oh, but they spend three hours in front of a screen. I spend longer on a golf course. Yes, it's healthier. Yes, it's, it's more invigorating as far as I'm concerned. Yes, it's better for me physically. Yeah, but 
What's the difference? If it's recreation and they needed a break, it was urgent and important. So nothing stays in any square. We have to live our life going right now, what belongs in what square? And then choose to do that thing, which is both either, either important and non-urgent or important and urgent. That's how we learn to say yes and no. That's how we avoid the rush of life. And we need to say no to the pressure of being somebody else. Boy, this is, I, I, you could preach a whole series of messages on this. We could talk about Photoshop and, and how people Photoshop images on, and they do makeup. You would have seen those video clips where they take a girl who, who looks reasonably average, she's not unattractive, and then they put all this glitz and glamour and makeup and they do her hair and lippy and gloss and, and eyeshadow and, and filler and base and whatever. They plaster her with, you know, you know, <laughs> scalp, you know, whatever, and, and then they send it back, whatever. And, and, and at the end of it, she looks a stunning model. She looks like a 10. She was already a six or a seven anyway. Look, I'm only a four or five and I married an eight, so I'm doing okay. You know. <laughs> I would not embarrass my wife by saying she's a 10, though I feel like that. Um, she's the love of my life and I'll die for her. I filled that hole. I filled that hole in. <laughs> I could talk about it, but you know, so often the pressure is to be somebody else. People have heroes in this life, and some people get so caught up with that they they don't want to be who they are. In fact, they they look in a mirror and they don't know how to love themselves. And yet, God looks from heaven on every one of us and says, "I love you." I love you so passionately, I gave my son. And he died on a cross for you because I love you so much. Please love yourself. How will you learn to love others if you can't learn to love you? How can you be the best you when you're trying to be somebody else? You're not good at somebody else. You're, I designed you to be perfect at being you. That coach, John Wooden, famous. This is what he said about himself. I'm just a common man. Who is true to his beliefs. See, he didn't see leading this team of basketball players to multiple championships year after year. He didn't see that as making him anything special. He was just doing the thing that he was called to do and doing it well. He actually had some basic rules for the guys. He had a couple of things like this don't swear, no profanity. Don't be late. Just simple rules. He wasn't about all these tactics and skills and glitz and glamour of the game. He taught them character because he wanted them not to be good at the game. He wanted them to be great at life. Then if they were great at life, they would be good at the game. And that's the thing. If we can learn this, because he was a Christian, he understood the principle. If we can learn to be good at life as Christians, being the best you you can be, then you're going to start playing life so much better than trying to be somebody else. Here's this, let me, no profanity, don't criticise a teammate and never be late. I reckon that'd be great for church. Listen, no profanity, that'd be good for some people in church. 
Don't criticise a teammate. No, it's build one another up. Stir one another up to love and good works. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't do anything. It's a don't and never be late. Well, that's, you know, that, that, that's pretty good. You should be on time for church because one day the rapture is going to happen and you don't want to be late for that one. <laughs> just giving you a hint. If you learn, if you learn punctuation, punctuality now, punctuation now, help. I mean, punctuality now. You might make it because you know, there are a story of 10 virgins who had lamps and five were late who didn't get in. See, he didn't try to be another coach. He, he just didn't follow fads. He didn't succumb to distractions. He stayed true to his core beliefs and principles. And that's what makes the difference. See, how much of your life right now is lived trying to be like somebody else? Now, I'm not saying like Jesus, but like somebody else. How often do you change your mind about things you were so certain about? How often do we start to choose to believe what our heroes believe when their life is a mess? See, I, I have no problem with all kinds of music. I, I, love, I love music from orchestrals to instrumentals to, to you know, jazz right through. I, I, I like pretty much all kinds of music. It's what goes with it's the problem. You can, have, you can have all kinds of music that glorify God, but then you can have hymn-style music that doesn't. You ever been to a soccer game? Or ever heard, watched a soccer game in England? You know, on TV, besides the hooligan stuff, they start singing their team song, and you know what they're doing? They sing it just like an old hymn, because that's what hymns came from, that culture of style of music. And you know what they're doing? They're worshipping their team and not God. So that style of music, which people call, we call hymns, that style of music is used to worship idols. Or oh, hymns are from God. No, this is used, the same style is used to worship idols. Just be who you are. I, today, at lunchtime, I shared at a Korean gathering. And their, their church service is so structured that I'm not used to it. But when the men sang... I was so moved by the presence of God last week and this week. I actually recorded them singing. I'd love to be able to play it to you one day. But just listening to these men sing, they're not trying to be somebody else. They're worshipping God from the depths of their heart. One young man just read a confession in Korean. had no idea what he was saying. It's called a confession. So he's just sharing. And he starts weeping through sharing. And I sense the Spirit of God before that weeping started. Then the weeping happened. I'm going, oh, just being true to himself, true to his relationship with God. Ephesians says this in 4.16, whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working in which every part, listen, every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. See, everyone has a part to play that no one else can play. Only you can play your part. See, just like life, most things are made up of individual parts. They're not bad, but they work better together. Anyone here tried to eat self-raising flour by itself? Somebody has? I remember years ago when I left Brisbane, uh, we were at a camp, Tachikoi camp, COC, and uh, they, they caught me because they knew I was leaving. They tackled me, about six guys, a couple of Tongans, um, and they held me down and they poured what they call sump oil honey. Don't anyone know what that's like? It's black as black and like, like, like thick molasses. And they poured it all over me. They covered me with it. And then they flew through flour all over me. 
So I get a mouthful of flour and I could not breathe. I mean, my whole, whole windpipe was dusted up. And, you know, I figured out I don't like eating flour. <laughs> you know, I was a mess. But bread is flour. But it works better when mixed with water. Now, I drink water by itself. And then there's salt, and sugar, and oil. Who likes drinking oil? You know, 20, 30, you know, 55W20 or something like that. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, drinking oil? No, I don't. I don't eat sugar by itself. I don't eat salt straight. I don't eat yeast by itself. But when you mix them together and work them properly, they become a beautiful loaf of bread. And if you had those home bread makers, you know, you know when the bread's just done because it gives off this wonderful fragrance that fills the house. It's, it's like what they say when you're selling a house, cook scones. Make the, let the scone fragrance go through the house. See, when you mix the parts and each part does its part, flour gives the bulk. The oil gives it structure. Salt gives it some more flavour. You know, the yeast helps it rise. You get that lovely crust, the high top. Remember the whole high tops? I would cut the sides off it. You know, the crunchy bits. I love the crust on bread. But the fragrance fills the house when all the parts are mixed together properly. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. Like the musicians and the singers to come. Now thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we, listen, we, it's a combined word, we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Church, when we all do our part, and the body is knit together, and every part does its share, and we grow, and the church matures. And a mature church is always adding new people. A mature church gives off the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ to God in the world. And to some people, we smell, oh, to others, oh, that stinks. So we used to live at Lakes Creek near the meatworks, and so many people hated the smell of corned beef being corned at the meatworks, I loved it. I'm sitting on the veranda going, come to me, come to me. Oh, that stinks, come to me. And some people, when, when, they, when the church works well, when it's knit together and kneaded together and the fragrance starts to flow out into the world, some people, there's something about that place. I want what they've got. Those people are authentic. Those people are transparent and true. They're real. They're not fake. They're not hypocrites. means fake. Masked. They're not. They're unmasked. There's something about them. They love one another. And we give off this fragrance. And it will attract some people. It will cause others to be angry. But I'm not going to stop being true. Because someone doesn't like our fragrance. I'm not going to stop being true. Because someone doesn't like our fragrance. Because it says this, we are to God. The fragrance of Christ to the world. We are to God. The fragrance of Christ to the world. When the body works together, when every part does its part, all God asks you to do is your bit. 
Jesus says in John 5 to the Pharisees, religious leaders, your approval or disapproval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. Church, it's not about approval of others. It's about the approval of God. It's about living and walking in the love of God. It's about showing His love to a hurting world. Why should we seek others' approval? Why should we try and be like someone else to be accepted? Because if you are accepted because you're pretending to be someone else, when they find out the real you, they'll reject you. Let them love you for who you are or not love you for who you are. Then you'll find the real people, the real friends will gather who will say yes and no, who will commit to, commit, commit to life with you. John 5, he goes on and says to the religious people, no wonder you can't believe. You gladly honour each other, but you don't care about the honour that comes from God. I want to say no to the right things and yes to the right things. We have to learn. And we have to say yes to the most important person in history and in eternity. And that's Jesus. We need to learn to say no to the world and yes to Jesus. We've got to know that. Say yes to the one who really loves you. The only one who is your ally for all eternity. The only one who can make a way for you and has made a way for you to come into heaven. The only way, the only truth, the only life is Jesus. We have to say no to a lot of things, but we've got to say yes to Jesus. And no matter how good a person might be, you and I cannot do this by ourselves. We all need to say yes to Jesus. Acts 4, as I finish, says this. Nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Say no to the right things and say yes to the right things. But definitely say yes to Jesus.